many of us ever know what it is to become the perfect version of ourselves? This is Decoding Superhuman with your host, Boomer Anderson. Superhumans, Boomer Anderson here, and by the time this episode is out, I will be in San Diego, California. I'm going to be on a month and a half long tour of the Americas, going to places like Argentina, but also all over the lovely United States. Today's episode is about a question that I get all the time, whether it's from a CEO, an entrepreneur, a mom with three kids, a question always comes up, and that is, can alcohol be a part of a high performer's life? It's a simple question, but it doesn't have a simple answer. And that's why I reached out to today's guest, who is an absolute expert in this topic. My guest today is Todd White. And Todd has been a serial entrepreneur since the age of 17. After 15 years in the wine business, his life is dedicated to educating and helping people make better choices about food, nutrition, and how they think about consuming alcohol, hence the title of this episode. Todd is the founder of Dry Farm Wines, a writer, speaker, and leading authority on healthy, organic, natural wines and the importance of microdosing alcohol for health. Todd's passion is unlocking the best way to enjoy alcohol, how to enjoy the benefits of moderate consumption while avoiding, of course, all of the negative outcomes. This is one of those episodes that veered off in a direction that I did not expect, and it was Oh, so enjoyable. We got into, of course, the question, can you be a high performer and enjoy wine? We looked at different types of wines, different grape varietals, regions, etc., and why you may want to rethink ordering that wine that's 13% or above. We talked about irrigation and its role in wine, the difference between organic, biodynamic, and natural wines, as well as meditation. And we did a quite a deep dive on the meditation. This is one of those ones where you want to stick it out to the end because Todd has some great answers to the final four questions. The show notes for this are at decodingsuperhuman.com slash dryfarmwines. If you want to head over to dryfarmwines.com slash decodingsuperhuman, Todd's got a special gift for you guys. So enjoy my episode with Mr. Todd White. Todd, welcome to the show. Hey, man. Super happy to be here today. Got lots of stuff to talk about wine. Oh, I love the subject. This is great. All right. So a lot of the people listening here have jobs where they have to go out to dinner and do all these kind of crazy client entertainment things. I, at least in past life, had to do that a lot. I guess first question is, can wine actually be a part of a high performance life? It depends on the type of wine you're drinking. So it's very important to think about what you're drinking. But I think, I think above that, when we look at 30,000 feet down, mm-hmm. let's think about alcohol, yeah. right? So this is a really, really important thing. Look, alcohol is dangerous. Mm-hmm. There's a ton of evidence that it's both unhealthy, leads to a lower performance life, and in fact, can kill you. Alcohol is a very dangerous neurotoxin. That being said, I love wine. I drink a lot of wine. And so how we approach and how we think about alcohol It's really important to think about dosage of alcohol. So, and we'll talk about why drinking low alcohol wines is very important. And it it leads into this thread about why alcohol and how alcohol can be negative as opposed to positive. But let's talk about how it can be positive. Let's do that. 
alcohol can enhance creativity in the right dose. And so when we think about drinking and particularly wine, when we think about the spirit and the energy and the, the wine that is alive and, and that communicates with us, it's natural wines, living wines have a spiritual quality to them. When, when we think about wine, there's a big difference between a natural product and a conventional commercial product. And most everything in the marketplace is conventional and commercial. I'm talking about more than 99%. Mm-hmm. Everything you see in the store, most everything you see in every restaurant list is a conventional commercial product. What we sell and drink are called natural wines. And that's a pretty specific category. But let me back back to alcohol for one second. Are we drinking to tap in or to check out? And so we think it's a really important distinction to think about our relationship with wine and its dosage and what type of alcohol, right? So in the paleo performance community, as you may know, tequila is largely recommended as kind of a clean distilled spirit. That's Rob Wolf's margarita, right? Yeah, Rob's a great guy. Rob, Rob endorses dry farm wines and, and the NorCal margarita. And, but, but here's my problem with spirits. My problem is they're 45% alcohol. Mm-hmm. The wines I drink are generally around 10% alcohol. That's actually really low. Wine as low as 6%. And so we really have to think about dosage because that really matters in terms of our neurological outcome, right? So I'm super interested in brain health, right? And so alcohol and brain health are a tedious balance. And so we have to be very, very careful about the dosage, which is why we only sell and recommend and drink lower alcohol wines because we want to tap in. So I don't drink during the daytime. I don't recommend any, uh, anyone else does either for a whole host of reasons we don't have time to get into. Mm-hmm. But around the dinner table, when we're surrounded with people that we know or may not know, uh, that we love, have community and spirit with, a little bit of wine lowers that window of vulnerability. It opens our heart just a bit, right? And so it allows us to bond and share. It quiets the mind down, right? And so meditation is also very effective for that. And I recommend that you meditate, but, but we want to quiet the mind so that we can have that flow, that channel of creativity. And that's where wine is helpful is in low amounts of alcohol in terms of making us vulnerable, making us more emotionally available. And as a result, a higher expression of creativity. And so to that extent, that's where it can be very positive. This is also very positive at a business dinner, as an example, mm-hmm. you know, where, where we're able to just be a bit more emotionally available, where the walls come down and we can get real, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So when we get real, that's when people identify with us. That's what builds trust is authenticity. Wine helps with that. It helps us to tap into that spirit. This is a great, great start because you've given me about 10 different levels that I can go to next. Um, You talked about dosage. You talked about the difference between conventional and natural and as well as low alcohol wines. Let's talk dosage first because I think that's something that's worth uh, double clicking on a little bit because at what point does it become beyond sort of useful? Is it two drinks? You see the literature, it could be two, it could be four. Well, it depends on how you measure alcohol. So, 
you know, in the United States, the government would tell you that a glass of wine, a beer, and a cocktail are all the same amount of alcohol. It's called a standard drink unit in the United States. It's classified differently around the world, but let's just talk about that for a moment. That's rubbish. So what is the alcohol content in the beer? What is the alcohol content in the mixed drink? What is the alcohol content in the wine? So nothing's equal in that regard. Here's the thing. Here's how we drink. Let's be clear, most of us, including you and certainly me and everyone I know. I don't have a glass of wine. I have several. Now, here's the issue with that. Here's how I control dosage is because I drink a wine with a lower underlying beginning alcohol. So wines in the United States are averaging nearly 15% alcohol by volume. The wines I drink generally are between 10 and 10.5%. That's a significant reduction in alcohol. And so, and, and I love drinking the lower alcohol wines, six, seven, eight percent. Now they taste different. They're, they don't, once you get below about nine and a half percent, nine, nine and a half percent, it doesn't taste exactly like a fine wine that you would identify with as historically what wine tastes like. It becomes a lot, lot more fresh. It becomes a lot more lean just because it doesn't have alcohol in it. Alcohol carries a lot of weight in wine, which is why one of the reasons that alcohol levels have risen steadily in wines over the last 20 years and a couple of other reasons, but alcohol makes wine big and bold, right? And rich. It's what and Robert because, Parker wants, right? That's a, of course, Robert Parker drinks, you know, three or four Coca-Colas a day and is a type two diabetic and on two canes, <laughs> you know, weighs about 300 pounds, right? And so he has a very sweet palate. He's a very rich, you know, dark palate. And this is this has affected many people around the globe, certainly Americans who have very deadened palates from eating too much sugar and too much processed food. And so they don't taste food in the same way we do, right? Because their their palate has been deadened. And so for the alive palate, I actually want something that's lighter, cleaner, fresher. I don't want bolder, richer, bigger, right? I don't eat that way, I don't drink that way. And so for your high performance listeners who eat clean and who are focused on a nutritional outcome that really lends itself to whole, real, raw, wild food, right? Then these are the kinds of wines and the taste of wine that they would more, much more identify with when you remove the alcohol. So how you drink less? Well, for me, it's not by having fewer glasses, and I bet that's the case for you as well. <laughs> it's not by having fewer glasses. It's by having less alcohol in the glass. And th because th this is just the, it's the nature of the beast. It's how we, we're, we're creatures, we're hedonistic creatures of pleasure. I mean, we look, high performance is about stretching out more pleasure in life. I mean, it's not, it, it's not about deprivation. It's about elevation. Absolutely. Right? I don't know anybody who's interested in high performance who doesn't like to have a great time and isn't a hedonist at heart, <laughs> right? And so that, that this, so let's get real, right? And and let's think about how to drink and what to drink. I love it, and a hundred percent agree. Like everybody's a hedonist at heart. Now let's let's go into not everybody, but high performance. <laughs> not everybody, because all those sad people that are living in that dark, closed-in life of tedious monotony—they are not hedonists. They are simply sheep. You can't be a sheep and be a hedonist. Love it, love it. 
let's go back to conventional versus natural wines because there's a lot we can talk about here on the toxin side uh, because we've seen things like the arsenic controversy and a few others. Do you mind just touching on the differences and sort of what is present in the everyday wines that makes people feel like crap? Well, there's a whole bunch of contributions, but let's just start at the beginning. In the United States, the FDA approved 76 additives for the use in winemaking. In the EU, it's 56. Now, the audience doesn't know anything about these poisonous and toxic additives because the wine industry in the United States, you know, this is also true in Europe, but in the United States, uh, Washington, D.C., and the wine industry are in bed together. And so the politicians have received tens of millions of dollars in lobby money in the United States to keep contents labeling off of wine. So wine is the only major food product without a contents label in the United States. No contents label in Europe either. Now, there's a reason for that. Because if it had a contents label on it, it would look just like the rest of processed foods when you look at their contents label, have a whole bunch of chemicals on there that you have no idea what it is, be rectangular, about an inch deep, uh, with a whole bunch of things in there that you don't have any idea what it is. The wine industry does not want you to know that. What the wine industry wants you to believe is that this is a fermented grape juice product, that this is just a natural whole product. That, in fact, is not true. And so there are many toxins and additives. They range from color agents, the most popular ones called mega purple, to uh, very, very toxic chemicals used to treat bacterias that can occur, uh, what were known as faults in wine. And anytime you make wine in large quantities, you must use these additives. But natural wines are additive free. So let's talk about what the difference is between all the wines in your store and a natural wine, less than one-tenth of 1% 1 of wines in the world are natural. It's a very specific farming and wine growing protocol. There's, not, there's no wine making because there's nothing that happens in the cellar other than a fermentation. That's not true for conventional wines. Again, there's a lot of processes and additives that go into to conventional wines. But in a natural wine, it's always organic or biodynamically grown. In our case, and almost all wines in Europe are dry farmed. That means there's no irrigation. This is very important. Over 99% of U.S. vineyards are irrigated. This is not the case in Europe, so it's a little bit different there. We only sell European wines. We, we don't, there are no wines grown in the United States that meet our criteria. And so, and one of those criteria is dry farming. We don't allow irrigation on any of our grapes. Do you mind if I ask a question on that? Why, why is irrigation an issue? Because I think of irrigation as just sort of water going to the vine, but is there something I'm missing on that? Well, I guess the water could be toxic. Well, water could be toxic. That, that's, that's one element. It's, it's speculated that glyphosate is getting in, in wines through the water. But that being said, that, that's not a proven fact. It's just they, don't, they can't figure out how else it's getting in there because way glyphosate is found present in many, many wines right? Glyphosate is Roundup. But we don't really know categorically how it's getting in there, but it's speculated it's coming through irrigation. But that we don't, that's another wormhole we could crawl down. Let me answer your question on irrigation. So a couple of things are happening with irrigation. Number one, and the reason that it's illegal in most of Europe to irrigate a grapevine, almost all of Europe, it is against the law to irrigate. 
And the reason that it's illegal is because it irrigation affects the underlying character and quality of the fruit, first of all. But from a health perspective, it also significantly dilutes the polyphenols, flavonoids, and antioxidants that are contained in the grapeberry. Here's why. When you dilute, when you fill a grapeberry with water, everything is diluted. The character of the fruit, the quality of the fruit, the taste of the fruit, and the positive aspects of the antioxidants and polyphenols and flavonoids that are in the fruit are also diluted. But here's why it has a significant impact on character and quality. An irrigated grapevine has a root ball of about two or three feet wide and about three feet, it's about three feet in diameter, two to three feet in diameter. Because the roots have no need for structure because they get all of their water and nutrient from this little drip hose just above the trunk. An unirrigated grapevine at maturity can have roots that stretch 30 or 40 feet or 10 meters, 10 to 15 meters deep, as this vine struggles to find water and nutrient, these little capillary hair-like roots are just breaking tiny parts of soil and stone apart, looking for minerals and nutrient and water. And this vine is struggling every single day to survive and to produce this amazing fruit. It's also struggling against its neighbor, which is why grapevines are planted close to each other. That struggle, just like with you and I, resistance creates power. In the plant, the same deal. This resistance creates character in the fruit. Now, the grapevine doesn't give a shit about making wine. Right? The grapevine is interested in producing its very best fruit so that the bird will choose its fruit to propagate its seed. Irrigation is the first intervention and the most significant intervention into nature's logic in grape farming. And look, it's completely unnecessary. There's only one, re there's only one reason you irrigate greed and money. Grapevines have been living on the earth for more than 10,000 years and were never irrigated at all. Never saw a drop of irrigation in the United States until 1973. Now virtually everything is irrigated. Here's why. You get higher yields, means more fruit, more fruit per vine, and fruit that weighs more because it's bigger and it's filled with water. It might not surprise you that fruit is sold by the ton. More it weighs, more it's worth. Right? It's just that simple. And so that's, we could get, there's a, another long wormhole in irrigation, but that's just sort of the, that's just sort of the highlights. Uh, I, could, I could geek on on this for hours because I'm super interested in it. Me okay, too. let's go back to the toxins because I think you touched on a couple of them, mega purple being one, some of these additives. Are there known contributors to things like hangovers, headaches, et cetera? in these toxins or are we just kind of, I guess, what are the main problems with these toxins other than, or additives other than the fact that they cause us to be suboptimal in terms of thinking? Well, they create a tremendous amount of brain fog. Mm -hmm. Here, here's, here's the thing. We're flying blind a bit on this. It's just no research to support any of this, right? No control groups, no research. Here's what we know. And this is anecdotally largely, but much of biohacking is. Here's what we know. To feel is to understand. And we know that when we drink natural wines that are clean, 
and lower alcohol, we feel differently. This is, the, look, this is not my opinion. This is, we, our business has grown 50,000% in three years. I mean, it's, it, it, we have tens of th- hundreds of thousands of people who drink. This is real. When you drink these wines, you feel better. There's no hangover. You could get a hangover if you drink an awful lot of it. I mean, a lot. Bottles and bottles, you know, three to five bottles. But if you drink a bottle, a bottle and a half, you will experience zero hangover. I do it every day. I can, right? I can so, attest to that one too. And so if you drink a bottle of conventional wine at 14% alcohol, you will get a hangover. You will get a headache during the process of drinking it. But there's a whole lot of contributors. So we've got additives. We've also got very high biogenetic amines. The two primary offenders are tyramine and histamine. Huge offenders in commercial wines because of the way the wines are made to get elevated levels of these bioamines. And so it, it's just, it's a matter, it's, it's, it's the, the, the way the wines are made and extended macerations on the skin, which really leads to a very dark wine. See, consumers believe the darker a red wine is, the higher quality it is, which is the reason that you oftentimes have these color agents being added. There's absolutely no truth to that. In fact, I would tell you just the opposite, that the lighter and cleaner a red wine is, the better it tastes, the more friendly it is with food. But again, we're back to this bold, rich, bigger, better kind of deal. Then you mentioned earlier Robert Parker. Robert Parker was the most influential wine writer and critic of our lifetime, of the last 100 years. He basically defined and shaped through these ratings how wines were made because see consumer walks into a wine shop or looks at a restaurant or walks into any and there's so many options and opportunities they don't have any idea what to buy so they buy someone else's opinion or rating who's supposedly an expert right well robert parker positioned himself as that expert and the type of wines that he likes because of the lifestyle that he loves are very bold very rich high alcohol wines right that sort of defined or the winemaker's job or the vendor's job is to sell wine. And so when you got Robert Parker's rating is this hundred points scale, mm-hmm. when you get 90 points from Robert Parker, you can sell your wine for three times as much as you could if you had no rating, right? Their job is to sell wine for as much as they can sell it for. And so he sort of defined this winemaking style that started in the 1970s and really got prolific in the eighties and nineties of these super rich, bold, dark wines that are bad for you. They are unhealthy. They contain sugar. They're high in alcohol and they will make you feel like shit, right? And so natural wines don't do that. Now, Robert Parker has also poo-pooed all over natural wines. He hates natural wine, right? And so, which is good because Robert Parker and I, I'm certain our palates have nothing in common. And I know our lifestyle has nothing in common. Because <laughs> yeah. I live a high-performance, ketogenic, yeah, I'm a biohacker, cold thermogenesis, daily meditation, just dialed in to performance, right? But I love wine. I've been drinking wine since I was nine years old. You know, I love wine. I don't want to stop drinking wine. I don't want wine to impede my performance, right? And this is really, look, this is super important. We talked about business dinners earlier. It's super important. The other thing is don't drink. And this is a common fault. I do it, done it, will do it again. But it's a, it's a road to trouble. 
don't drink without eating. So I only eat once per day. So I do a 22 hour daily intermittent fast. I, you know, I need, I have to eat something before I put alcohol in my body. And even for lean eaters, even if they're on the, you know, even, even if they're doing intermittent fasting, eating twice a day, or even if they're eating three times a day, but they're eating clean and lighter, you know, by the time you get into the evening hour, you're depleted. You need to eat before you drink. It's very common happy hour, cocktail hour. Let's have a glass of wine and then go to dinner. No, I do it. I'll do it again as, you know, guilty, but it's bad news. When we, get, when we get food in our system and then we lay the alcohol on top of that, it's a completely different outcome in terms of the absorption of the alcohol and how that affects us. And at a business dinner, this is really important because at a business dinner, we don't want to get on the wrong side of alcohol. Yeah, It's very easy to do. And oftentimes, if everybody's doing it, it remains a bonding experience, but we're not buttoned up. We're not adding as much value. We're just drinking, right? And that's that's a little less tapped in and a little bit more checked out, right? And so I just like people to think about when they drink, tapping into something spiritual, not checking out of life, right? And so I still drink a bottle a day, but I'm not checked out, right? But I'm also drinking a much, much lower alcohol wine. Okay, one thing before we go into uh, more applied wine drinking for people who are listening out there, uh, just a point of clarification, natural, are biodynamic wines definitively natural or, and organic wines definitively natural, or is it just the other way around? Natural could be bio. No, not at all. Okay. Not at all. Do you mind just talking, talking real quick on the difference? Sure. So organic and biodynamic, and biodynamic is a prescriptive form of organic farming, uh, uh, organic farming. So all biodynamic farming is organic. It's just just to step up with some additional organic prescriptions and also lunar cycle farming and harvesting. There's like the horse horn or there's Yeah, you can read all about yeah. it online. But but so all natural wines are organic or biodynamic. However, all organic and biodynamic wines are not natural. And this is very confusing to the consumer. Just because a wine is organic does not make it natural. It just means the fruit was organically farmed right? It can still contain additives. It can still contain processes, technical processes that we believe are unhealthy that alter and change real wine into this not wine, but wine thing, right? But so organic and biodynamic only describes farming practices, right? And there's no official category for natural wine. So those of us in the natural wine movement know what natural wines mean, but there's no international category for it. So, but you're in Amsterdam. So, you know, the most famous natural wine bar in Amsterdam is called Glue Glue. There's a app. Uh, Down in De Pipe. Yeah, yeah. There's, a, uh, there's an iPhone and Android app called Raisin. And Raisin is the best sort of international guide to natural wine retailers, bars, and restaurants. It's much more actively used in Europe than the U.S. Natural wines are more prevalent in, in Europe than the U.S., but you can do a, an internet search for natural wine bars, natural wine restaurants, natural wine retailers. You'll find them, in, you'll find them prolific in many markets, particularly in Europe, Amsterdam, uh, Paris, 
London, uh, Berlin. Uh, so in you know in 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 bigger markets you'll 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 find you know some decent selection of natural wines. In the U.S., it's going to be pretty much restricted to New York, Chicago, San Francisco, Big uh, Los Angeles, maybe a little in D.C. You know, so you're you're you, there. It's just not as prevalent in the U.S. But so you can use raisin or do an internet to internet search to find natural wines. But natural wines. There are only about a thousand natural wine growers in the world. Most of them are in Europe. Uh, we work with four farmers in South Africa and two in Chile, but almost all of them are, are in Europe. The movement, the natural wine revolution really started in France. And so it's uh, from a practical point of view that, you know, it's difficult to find natural wines in some restaurants, you know, farm to table. There are many restaurants in, in Amsterdam that, uh, certainly have natural wines on their list. So you can ask the Somme or, you know, ask the director if they have natural wines. For me, it's way past natural wine. So I'm also looking for low alcohol. So not all natural wines are low alcohol. Natural wines tend to be lower in alcohol than conventional wines. But so I'm also asking, do you have any wines at 12% or less? 12.5% maximum. Right. So I'm also asking for lower for reasons we've already discussed, because I like to drink wine. So, Todd, I want to take because you touched on this a little bit already, but for an applied sort of wine drinking lesson. Right. Say businessman goes to a dinner and he doesn't have control over what restaurant he's going to. You mentioned you're looking for lower alcohol wines. Maybe if they have a natural wine list, that helps. But what sort of grape varietals, what sort of uh, regions should people be looking for if they want to select something that's not going to make them feel like junk the next day? It's, it's a very tough question because there's not a great answer to it. Even I struggle with it. Uh, typically, I'm going to look at a couple of different varietals or wine growing regions. The most popular one on any wine list it, where you're likely to find there are two they're both in france uh, the loire valley if it's a sophisticated list you might find jura but beaujolais or gamay is generally my go-to great go-to lower alcohol wine if pinot noirs from germany the pinot noirs from france from burgundy are typically most of them industrial farmed love Pinot Noir, but most of them are industrial farmed and most of them are higher in alcohol than I want. There are very few low alcohol burgundies and most of the Pinot Noirs on the wine list around the world, except in the United States, where they're going to be from California, which is a no-go. But in, in Europe or where you have sophisticated wine lists, most Pinot Noirs are going to be from Burgundy because that's just the exalted region for Pinots. You know, Pinot Noirs from Germany are my favorite Pinots in the world. They're also very often natural and very often lower alcohol. Uh, Spottenbunger is the, is the name of the grape there, but it's Pinot Noir. Anyway, that, but Gamay is always a go-to. Uh, so I stay in central France where it's cool and wet because that leads, the coolness and, and, and the wetness leads to lower sugars in the grape, which means lower alcohol at the time of fermentation. So what's going to determine the amount of alcohol in the wine is the amount of sugar that's in the fruit at the time that it's picked. So if you're choosing wines from cooler regions or wetter regions, 
then you're going to get lower sugar. Typically, you're going to get lower sugar in the grape, which means you're going to have lower alcohol at the finish of the fermentation. Okay. You mentioned France, you mentioned Germany. Are New World wines just not going to work for this? Or places like Oregon, maybe a little cooler, but uh, Chile, South Africa? Yeah, it's, it's just... So it's quite warm in South Africa, but there are natural wines there and lower alcohol. It depends on the winemaking style and the grower's style at picking. But this problem with the New World in Oregon or California, there's some dry farm wines and and some non-irrigated fruit in California, not much, a little bit in Oregon. There's some natural winemakers in Oregon, natural winemakers in California. The problem is for us, they don't meet our criteria. Mm -hmm. Our criteria is six or eight very important items to us that are beyond the scope of just being natural. And so it includes non-irrigation, which is less than 1% of U.S. vineyards. Lower alcohol, there's almost no low alcohol wines made in the United States. Price point, very big deal. We don't sell any wine over $22 at retail. And so U.S. wines are just more expensive because land prices here are more expensive. Uh, Sulfur. Then the use of sulfur dioxide, which we place a very strict limit. Sulfites are naturally occurring in all wines, or any fermented product contains sulfites. The question is whether or not additional sulfur dioxide is being added, and when, and how much. So we do lab tests. At Dry Farm Wines, we do independent lab tests on every wine. So we want to make sure it's sugar-free, because we're ketogenic. Uh, so Todd, I want to, this is a very good point because I want to talk about your process because I find it fascinating to get into these things. Do you mind talking about how that lab t- testing process works? Well, so we test, we, we, we have five people on the ground in Europe, right? This week for the next two weeks, tasting and getting lab samples of wines in Austria, France, Spain right now. Uh, so here's what happens is that so we, we know who the natural wine farmers are. I mean, they're kind of loosely knitted, collected. They hold fairs together. We know who they are. So we already, we tour their farms. We know their, we know their farming practices. So, but this is a matter of pride among these activist farmers, right? They're just like hippie activists. They're not making any money. You can't make any money selling natural wine or growing it because you can't make it in very large quantities without the use of chemical controls or these bacteria get out of, out of hand. So these are small activist farmers, right? We know who they are. We taste the wines. If we, first of all, they have to meet our alcohol criteria. So that's, that's number one. It has to be, has to be naturally farmed, has to be 12 and a half percent or lower in alcohol. So we won't even taste it if it doesn't meet those two criteria. Then we taste the wine. If we like the aesthetic, And mind you, we reject more than 50% of wines on taste. If we like the aesthetic or the taste, then we'll take a lab sample, whether that's stateside here, if they've sent us a sample or if we're in Europe, we take a lab sample, send a test tube, and then we send it to a certified enologist in the Napa Valley. And we have two labs in Europe who then perform a series of tests in the lab on this wine sample. And then they send us a report. And we're looking for a lot of things, toxins, molds, like ochratoxin A and mycotoxins. We're looking for pesticide. We're looking for alcohol. We're looking for sugar. Uh, we're looking for sulfites. Uh, we, we're looking for an, an, a number of criteria. 
about another 50%, uh, 40%, between 40 and 50% of wines don't meet our lab criteria, right? For one reason or another, it's typically high in sugar, sulfites, or alcohol. Those are the three main offenders. What's the threshold you guys use on sugar? Is it less than one gram per liter? Wow. Which is statistically sugar free at the serving level, right? It's not even enough to measure in a glass, right? And so, to give you a reference point, Coca-Cola has 130 grams per liter, right? <laughs> so a liter is actually, as you know, larger than a single bottle of wine. Single bottle of wine is 750 milliliters. And so this is less than one gram. And most of these wines test out 0 0.1, 0 0.2, 0 0.3 tenths of one gram per liter. It's just, they're sugar-free. Uh, we won't accept anything over 0.9. We won't accept a gram or more per liter. And still, that's pretty sugar-free. But for us, sugar is just a no-go. Sugar is just something we're rabidly against. And fortunately, there are enough wines that meet our criteria that we can supply our business with, right? So it's not uncommon. Dry wines, people say dry is like low sugar. Well, dry wines categorically can have up to three and a half grams per liter. I just won't drink those wines. Right. So just because a wine is, quote, dry or, you know, in Germany, they call it trocken. So just because it's dry doesn't mean it's sugar free. It means that it contains less than three and a half grams per liter. Right. And I can feel if I drink a wine with two or three grams, I can feel it. I mean, I'm very sensitive to sugar. I've been sugar free for a long time. And so I, I can feel it. Even I can't taste it always. Here's the thing. And the reason the sugar lab testing for sugar is very important. You can't always taste sugar in wine. Now you can if it's a dessert wine or some crazy sweet wine, but I'm talking about I'm talking about dry red wines. You can't always taste the sugar, right? Because it, it's hidden by the acidity and the alcohol. You just can't taste it until it gets to, you could taste it at 15, 20 grams per liter for sure. But at five grams, you can't taste it. I'm not even, I can taste it. I can feel it sometimes in my head, but but I, but I can't taste it. So that's that's sort of our process. And then, once all of that happens, then we buy the wine if, if, uh, if in fact, you know, it meets our aesthetic and all of our lab criteria. This is incredible and great process. Less than one gram per liter. That's pretty easy to stay in ketosis. That's for sure. We're also, listen, this is not marketing spin. We started this company to scratch our own itch because I wanted to drink, stay in ketosis and, you know, and conventional wines are making me feel like shit. So it's like, I, you know, it, at first, I thought it was just the alcohol. The alcohol was too high. And that is part of the problem. But that wasn't the big part of the problem. It was everything else that was going on in wine I didn't know about. So, and again, no research should really support this. So, but it's not marketing spin. Like, we drink the same wine we sell, right? I mean, like, I can't drink commercial wine. I can't drink conventional wine. I won't drink. I would rather not drink than to drink it, right? Just because how it's going to make me feel. It's, you know, it's very, it's very important. There's a lot of claims in the health business. A lot of people out there making, this is not marketing spam. When you drink this wine, not just my wine, go to any natural wine bar. When you drink natural wine and pay attention to the alcohol level, you're going to have a completely different outcome in almost all cases. In our wine, again, it goes this lab testing. It's extra quantifications because we're extreme biohackers. And, you know, so that's just who we are. But, but basically, most natural wines 
paying attention to the alcohol, most natural wines will will are going to behave the same. Are going to cause you to feel the same way. Todd, before I get into the the final questions, I just want if people wanted to read more about this, maybe if you can passport back to when you started this company and sort of started doing your research on these toxins. What would you point them to? Because this is fascinating subject, but a lot of people, like you said, there's not a ton of published research on it. Where would you point them to if they wanted to read more? Well, I mean, you can you can just do an internet search for FDA wine approved additives. There are plenty of posts there. Uh, our website contains a tremendous amount of data research and blog posts and as much information. We, we probably, in our resources section, probably have as much information as anywhere, you know, I've done over a hundred podcasts on the topic there, you know, there's a ton of, a ton of data out there on our website, but, and that's at dryfarmwines.com. You can find it there, but again, just natural wine search online. It's not a lot out there. It's, it's a fairly, it's a fairly new vertical. We're the largest buyer and seller in natural wines in the world. And so, we, you know, we know the space very well. There's just not a tremendous amount of data, but you can search natural wines, wine additives, anything like that. Everything I've told you uh, here today will be easily verifiable online. The additives, the dangers of the additives, the chemicals, the toxins. It's just not a lot of tremendous amount of research, but nutritionally speaking, look, there's not great nutritional research on any topic because we just don't have, except for maybe fasting right? And some keto stuff. But in terms of general nutrition, we just don't have control group studies. You know, we don't have any, we can't force people into eating a specific way or not eating a specific way. So much of what we know about nutrition and much of what we know about this very topic we're talking about, how you're going to feel through drinking wine is anecdotal. And it is based on my favorite proverb about this subject to feel is to understand. And so we know when we're in touch with our body and our mind and our spirit, we know how we feel when we ingest something. We know if we practice you know, cold thermogenesis or cold showers, we know whether or not that has a positive outcome on our outlook and on our neurological and biological outcome, the definition of biohacking. You know, we, so when we experiment, and the more we experiment, the more we feel. And so to feel is to understand. And so when you drink these wines, you'll see that you feel different. And I don't need to tell you anything more than that. And I can add to the anecdote. I've drank a few of your wines at different fairs and conferences and stuff. And can say, usually I'd feel like crap the next day. And I always feel better than I expected. So thank you. Todd, I want to ask final four questions of you. And I guess the first one here is what aspect of health do you think deserves more attention than it is currently getting? I have a standard answer for most of these, all, all of these types of questions, because I believe until we awaken our spirit, until we awaken our mind and learn to tap into our subconscious and learn to close off the trauma of thinking, all of this is uh, achieved most effectively through meditation. So I think the healthiest practice any adult can have is a regular meditation practice that allows us to have higher awareness and lift our consciousness. And from that, many, many positive and great things flow. But 
I guess if it were a nutritional or a performance question outside of meditation, which is going to be generally my answer to everything until we get, until we get control of our mind, until we get control of our spirit, many things are going to be misaligned. But I think eating processed foods and particularly the dangerous neurotoxin sugar is, is probably, I think, cutting back on sugar and, and eating whole real foods is probably the most under-practiced biohack uh, other than meditation. Everything stems from me from the face, basis of meditation. But outside of that, I think processed food and, and, and sugar, man. This neurotoxin, sugar is in everything. It is. Everything from wine to salad dressings, everything contains sugar, right? And so getting away from it requires a real vigilant focus. It's so hard. It's so difficult. Um, It's super addictive too. Yeah. It makes you feel good. Does well. It makes you feel good it to a point. You feel good for a moment. Yeah, for a moment. And then you feel junky again. But it's, uh, it, once you remove it, you'll never want to go back. That's for sure. I guess you may have hinted at your answer to this next question, but what's your top trick for enhancing focus? It, it's, it's meditation. Not, but in addition to meditation, it's, it's, it's staying grounded in the present moment. Uh, and that that requires practice outside of just a meditation practice, but staying grounded and and also doing deep work, doing what I call deep thought. So when we multitask, when we which I think is one of the one of the greatest interruptions to focus of all time, right? We need to do deep work. We need to get in our flow state in order to enhance focus, right? When we've got too many things coming at us, you know, this is this is a this is a significant interruption constantly coming at us. I mean, we're overstimulated, right? And so email is probably the worst offender. Uh, social media is something we kind of addictively bounce in and out of. But email, it's a real, email is a significant interruption to any kind of focus or deep work. And so as an example at my company, we almost never i'm talking about once or twice a month do we do an email to all like that almost never happens there are no reply to alls there are no emails that go out after business hours or over the weekend there are no emails that go out in the morning before business hours there are i don't i don't reply with thank yous or good works or attaboys i tell everybody i work with i love you I believe in you. You do high quality work. You can be sure every single piece of work product you send me, I am highly grateful for. I will not be thanking you for it. Right? If there's a problem, I'll let you know. Because I don't want I want to do everything possible to maintain the sanctity of your email box. And so this is this is something I think is probably the most overlooked management tool to enhance focus and creative expression is the email box. It is poisonous. And you send me an email. Well, you and I have never emailed. I had someone else who emails on my behalf, right? I want absolutely nothing to do with email. It's going to interrupt my creative flow. It's going to, I, I, you know, I get maybe, maybe I get five emails a day. I just, and those usually probably won't get answered for several days, maybe a week or two. If it's anything urgent, I'm not your guy, right? And so, because I can't work like that. 
for me, I, I need the single most important thing in my life is peace and the elevation of peace in my life. And email is not peaceful. That's how I focus the most is by building a life of peace around me. I'm going to ask you a question when we go offline on how you set that up, because that's absolutely brilliant. I love it. The idea of receiving five emails a day is... Well, it's, it's called desperation, my brother, because <laughs> I can't process it. I can't process it. And I'm just not good at it. It's not, I'm not going, it's not what I'm good at. I think the other thing that we must determine in life and be very disciplined about is what are we really good at and what are we not good at? Mm -hmm. And stop trying to be good at something we're just not inherently good at. Right? And focus on the things that you do better than 90% of the rest of the people and do only those things, right? And hand the rest of that jazz off to somebody else who does do it better than you, right? So that's one of the tricks. Before we get on to the second to last question, meditation practice, what type of meditation do you do? I do just a concentrated meditation. So when I first started my practice and like most people, this is about five years ago, like most people... I couldn't stop thinking. This is the reason that people quit meditation. They're like, I'm not successful at it. I can't stop thinking. Well, it's called a practice, right? And so we get better at tapping into that silence with practice. But when I first started meditating, I did use a mantra, right? And because the mantra, which is in my case, a three word phrase, in my case, it was peace love and prosperity. Those were the things I needed and wanted in my life at the time. And so when you use a mantra, when you're repeating a phrase over and over, this blocks your thinking, right? Because you're focused on the phrase. And once you get past that, I don't like using a mantra now because it interrupts my silence, right? But it did interrupt my thinking in the beginning. And then I also play uh, a music. Um, it's not really music. It's kind of meditation tones. I play that in the background because that's another anchor away from thought. Breath is another anchor to focus on your breathing. And concentration through the third eye visions, that's another concentrated visuals or another anchor away from thinking. A mantra is an anchor away from thinking. But what the music or the tones do for me is I have preset, I have preset tracks, so I don't have to think about time. Right. So when the music changes, in my case, it doesn't shut off at the end. It goes to a different type of tone. Right. When I then do visualizations and affirmations and gratitude mm -hmm. for another 10 minutes after I do concentrated meditation. So the music never stops. It just changes. And when it changes, I know that I know that it's time to segue into my next uh, portion of my other practices of visualizations and affirmations. But but this, this I, I subscribe very much to the law of attraction. So I believe, you know, the energy that we vibrate into the universe reflects back at us. So that's the reason I think visualizations and affirmations are super effective to achieve outcomes. So I use a little bit of music, but it's not, you know, it's really a timer. It's not so I don't have to think about time or wonder when it's going to be over. Because you'll do that if you don't know. Or, and I don't want to set an alarm at the end of my meditation, because I don't want to finish my meditation with a f***ing alarm, right? <laughs> yeah, just a jolt at the end. Right, right. Uh, thank you for sharing that. So, Todd, what's your favorite book on high performance? The Power of Now. I'll tell you why, because we reach our highest performance when we stop the trauma of thinking. 
And this opens the channels of abundance and abundance can flow to us through performance, through, you know, material things, spiritual things. Abundance is just this big open channel of goodness, right? So what most of us are doing through the trauma of thought, this incessant thinking all day long with either regrets of the past or anxiety of the future, what most of us are doing is, or our relationship with attachment, which is also a trauma, right? So in this trauma of thinking, we're creating blockage. We're blocking the abundance, our birthright abundance, the innocence that we're due. By all this thinking, we're blocking and creating resistance. And so the power of now, I think, by Eckhart Tolle does the best job of explaining. He doesn't give the great, he doesn't give a prescription. I'm going to tell you the book next for that. He doesn't give the prescription, but he does do the very best job, I think, of helping you understand the mind and its trauma, right? And so the power of now, the prescription is a book written in 1912. It was, it was the book that inspired the book, The Secret, which is about the law of attraction. But before that, in 1912, a correspondence course, a 24-week correspondence course, was written by a gentleman named Charles Hannell. It's called The Master Key System. It is a 24-week, it was, today it would be on the internet, but at the time it was delivered through the Postal Service <laughs> in the United States, and you would get one course per week for 24 weeks. And so it's not a book. This is one of the beautiful things about it. It's a prescriptive set of instructions about understanding how to apply the mind and spirit to the outcome through vibrations and like energies in, in, into the universe. It's an extremely, it's an extraordinary book. So if I wanted to, I mean, I just recommended it a few months ago to Ben Greenfield, who is a friend and, and is super high performance and uh, changed his life. He's got his kids going through it. I mean, it's just like, it's so old people, you know, the Stoics had it figured out 2000 years ago. You know, I mean, uh, Seneca said, he who worries most worries before it is necessary. Worry is a form of mental trauma. And so this is nothing new. I just happen to like the, the fact that this correspondence course is really a series of lessons, very short lessons, typically 25 lessons per, per section. It's not a book. And so it's very, very prescriptive. This is great, Todd. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um... Where can people find out more about you and Dry Farm Wines for that matter? Well, Dry Farm, we're Dry Farm Wines on all social media. And uh, our website contains about everything you'd want to know about natural wine and about us and about our ethos, how we exist to help other people live a healthier, better life through uh, a natural approach and meditation and spreading love, just being more available emotionally and opening our heart to, to spread more love and to rise, to, to, to help the rising tide of consciousness around the world. And so for us, it's, you know, wine is our business, but helping people think about love and living and living in a more peaceful way, which ultimately leads to higher performance, right? Because it's the trauma it's the lack of peace that compresses our performance. It's the trauma and drama in our life that compresses performance. We're going to perform at our very best in every way possible when we are clear, present, aware, and peaceful. And 
in that in in that place we can find the highest performance of any kind that we want whether that's an athlete who wants to reach flow state you can't tiger woods can't we know tiger woods's story you know the burn down the meltdown that wasn't about he became a, a less better golfer he became traumatized by his drama in his life and so we want to reach any kind of performance it's about finding that peaceful center meditation is the most effective way to get there in my opinion Todd, thank you so much for taking the time today. Uh, guys, the show notes for this one are at decodingsuperhuman.com slash dryfarmwines. Todd, thank you. I love what you guys are doing. Frankly, I always try and hunt down your wines, or if I'm in the U.S., I got a subscription package coming to my parents' house. So thank you so much for everything, and thank you for taking the time today. Awesome. Thank you. To all the superhumans out there listening, have an absolutely epic day. Superhumans. Before you go, can I ask two favors? Did you enjoy that episode? If so, can you send me an email at podcast at decodingsuperhuman.com? Provide any feedback, positive or negative. I would love to hear from you. And for those of you who have really taken advantage of that, you know I respond to each email. Secondly, if you did enjoy the episode, can you head on over to iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, any one of your favorite podcast listening platforms, and give Decoding Superhuman a five-star rating. It would really be appreciated. And then finally, for those of you who are looking at taking an informed approach to health, head on over to decodingsuperhuman.com. Check out what we have going on over there. And if you want to schedule a free 15-minute discovery call with me, you're going to have that option. Superhumans, have an absolutely epic day. And remember, as always, choose health.